There was no other event in history that affected more people than World War II. Um, almost every country in the world was involved. 60 million people died. Millions more were wounded. Millions more were left homeless and displaced. It changed the course of, uh, of the world forever. cell phones, uh, there's no Facebook, and you know, there was no television. Uh, the only way people got information about what was going on in the world was either reading a newspaper or a magazine, but even you know, magazine articles would be way behind. Flying Fortress, Susan Root, is shared in unbelievable detail, author Steve Snyder's story of his father, Lieutenant Howard Snyder, and the Susan Root crew provides in-depth details about many aspects of World War II few understand or even know about, which includes separation from his young family, for over seven months, he didn't know where he was, training before heading to foreign soil, military combat operations, the underground resistance, and what Lieutenant Snyder did when he joined it. You don't want to miss this very revolutionary podcast with Steve Snyder. Who is Steve Snyder? <laughs> okay, uh, well, I was born in Pasadena, California, uh, raised there in Southern California, and then uh, I went to college at UCLA. And then after I uh, graduated, uh, I had various sales jobs uh, and had a career, a 40 year career in sales and sales management. And then I retired in 2009. And that's when I had the time to really delve into my dad's war history in uh, more detail. I'm married to have three uh, grown sons. The youngest one just got married a week ago. So that was exciting. Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. 
And uh, so my wife and I live in Seal Beach, California, which is about 40 miles south of Los Angeles. And it's a quiet little beach town, uh, love the water. But we have a second home uh, where I'm at right now in Sedona, Arizona, in Northern Arizona. So you have the high desert and the, and the beach. So now I'm retired, but uh, really since writing the book, I have a, I began a new career uh, normally each year, except this year because of COVID. I travel all across the United States signing copies of my book at air shows. And I do a lot of uh, PowerPoint presentations to all sorts of different groups uh, talking about the book and trying to educate people about the World War II and the air war over Europe. But this year, there's no traveling because of COVID. But uh, so I'm doing a number of interviews like, like this one. Your book, Steve, is going to be a very personal account of your dad. Why did you write this book? Well, growing up, I knew the basic of my basics of my dad's World War II history. I knew he was a B-17 bomber pilot. He was stationed in England with the 8th Air Force. He flew bombing missions over mm -hmm. Europe. And uh, as you mentioned, in February of 1944, his plane was, he was shot down. And he was, after he bailed out, he was missing in action for seven months, but evaded capture and finally made it back to, uh, to England. Uh, but uh, I really didn't have time to delve into my dad's war history in more detail until I retired. Uh, my parents had kept a lot of material after, uh, about the war years, and I just wanted to go through that and organize it, and get more detail. At that time, I had no intention of, at all of writing a book. Uh, and there were two items that were really significant. One was a diary that my dad wrote while he was missing in action about his plane being shot down. That's absolutely riveting, which is in the book. And the other uh, item were all the letters that my dad had written to my mother while he was stationed in England, which he had kept. And just sitting down and reading those letters was uh, fascinating. Uh, my dad was very candid. Uh, in his letters, he talked about what it was like to go on bombing missions, what life was like in England and London at the time, what life was like on the air, air base he was at, uh, escapades of him and his crew. And I just became fascinated with the story of my dad and his crew, and it became my passion. I started reading book after book uh, about the air war over Europe. Uh, I, I went on a quest to find uh, relatives of all his crew members to ask them what information they might be able to give to me. Uh, I went on the internet and spent countless hours doing research, downloading declassified military documents. Uh, joined a number of World War II organizations, started going to reunions, listening to veterans tell their stories. And finally, three years into my research, I just came to the conclusion that the story of my father and his crew was so unique and so compelling that it needed to be told people needed to know about it, so I decided to write a book. You wrote this book, and what has been the response from your, your family members to the writing of your book? Well, <laughs> that's a good question. You know, I had no writing background or training uh, at all, uh, and so when uh, I published the book, you know, it was a big surprise to all my family and well my family knew I was writing it uh, but you know I, my acquaintances and friends they were pretty surprised that I wrote a book uh, 
And I think they were surprised that it was so good. <laughs> uh, but it's really just uh, the story is just so fascinating. Uh, and, and that's why it's such an incredible read. The, the book is all based on firsthand testimony by the people who were involved in the events that took place. Um, what I added to the book or my contribution to the book was just adding a, a great deal of historical information and anecdotes about and surrounding uh, World War II to put the story into context and to, and to give it background. Uh, the first half of the book kind of builds up to the day that the plane was shot down. And then the second half of the book is all about what happened uh, after they were shot down. Um, you must have received or saw some material concerning the actual moment that the plane was shut down from your father. Right, yeah, he did uh, talk about it, but like most World War II veterans, uh, they didn't, he and they don't talk a lot about the war. Um, it wasn't until he went to uh, Belgium in 1989, uh, they erected a memorial to my father and his crew uh, uh, near where the plane went down in the little village of Mackinois, Belgium, just north of the French border. And he and the other three crew members that were still living at the time went over for the dedication of the memorial. And there he was reunited with all these Belgian people who helped him and hid him from the Germans during the war, revisited these places, homes and farmhouses where he stayed. And that brought it all back and he start, started talking about it uh, at, at then. And then five years later in 1994, I made my first trip to Belgium with my parents and uh, I got to see everything firsthand, and that's when it became personal for, uh, for me as well. Uh, <coughs> excuse me. I've been to Belgium six times now doing uh, research and visiting all these locations. It's a, a marvelous little country. Uh, Belgium would have been one of the countries that would have been affected directly because of um, Germany and the war. So they would have been eternally grateful for soldiers uh, like your dad to come and help them. Absolutely. Uh, to this day, the Belgian people are still so thankful and grateful for the Americans, for the allied uh, uh, you know, countries coming to their rescue uh, to liberate them from Nazi oppression, four years of Nazi oppression and Nazi occupation. And they do a great job of educating the younger generations about the importance of remembering, too. You know, here uh, where I am in the United States, you know, this country has never been uh, yeah, occupied. You know, they, those countries in Europe that were occupied by, by Nazi Germany, the, the Nazis, you know, they saw firsthand the atrocities that they committed and the hardships they had to endure during World War II. Um, it's hard for you know, people in the U.S. to really grasp the horror and the magnitude uh, of, of what occurred during World War II, since, you know, they didn't have to live through it. It was from a distance, from afar. That's why books like yours would really detail the history of what, you know, these veterans did for literally freeing the world from tyranny from this type of oppression from uh, a dictator that 
was hell-bent on changing the world to what he wanted. Uh, so the men that was with your dad, have you got the chance to speak with them personally? Uh, well, of uh, B-17 had a 10-man crew, and five of the crew made it back home, but five of them did not. Uh, okay. When their plane was attacked, uh, my dad's plane, they... He named it Susan Ruth after my oldest sister, who was one year old at the time that he went overseas. But when the plane was attacked by two German fighters, fighter planes, uh, two of the crew were killed in the plane during the attack, and then the other eight men were able to bail out. Uh, but three of them uh, died uh, a couple months later uh, when they were captured by the, by the Germans. Uh, after my dad bailed out, uh, as we mentioned, he was missing in action for seven months. He was hidden by Belgian people for uh, a time. And uh, the people who hid my dad were unbelievably brave people uh, because of the German secret police, the Gestapo found out about it. They would be uh, arrested, tortured, and even either sent to concentration camps or shot. And some of the Belgian people who helped my father and other members of his crew did meet that fate. Uh, but finally, my dad got tired of hiding. Uh, he was almost discovered a few times uh, by the Gestapo and those instances are described in the book. And it was very stressful for him because, you know, first of all, his plane's attacked, it's on fire. He has to bail out. He comes down in a foreign country, has no idea where he, where he is. Uh, he doesn't know what happened to his buddies on the crew, uh, can't communicate with the U.S. military, and he's being held by complete strangers who uh, can't speak each other's language. Uh, he had a little uh, French-English dictionary and an escape kit he could refer to, and any one of the people who were helping him could be a collaborator and turn him over to the Gestapo. So it was very stressful, but they... Uh, so. He uh, got tired of uh, hiding and word had come that the Allies had landed uh, on the beaches of Normandy on D-Day, June 6th of 1944. And he decided to get back in the fight. So he decided to join the French resistance and start fighting against the Germans. Uh, the French resistance was what called the Mackie. And they were uh, made up of uh, small independent guerrilla groups located all around France. Uh, his group was uh, led by a French lieutenant who had escaped from a German prisoner of war camp. There were about 20 members of his and his group made up of uh, some Frenchmen, some Belgians, some Algerians. And they uh, harassed the Germans. Uh, they disrupted communications. They uh, sabotaged railroad lines. They assassinated German officers. They attacked convoys. And they got their instructions uh, over the BBC, the English radio, uh, through coded messages, and that they were supplied by the British through airdrops. So he fought with them, and there are several encounters that are described in the book as well. And then finally, seven months after he bailed out, uh, U.S. armies had come up through France after D-Day and liberated Belgium, and that's when he hooked up with uh, the U.S. armies and then made it back to, to England. And his uh, trying uh, seven months was, was, was over. <coughs> Excuse me. I'm just kind of getting over a cold here. That's okay. But the uh, the book is just isn't about my dad. It's also about what happened to each member of the crew because something different happened to each guy. And it's also about the courageous Belgian people 
who, who risk their lives uh, trying to help them. I'm so intrigued by this story. Definitely, I need to get this book. I mean, you need to get this book. So if anyone um, is interested in getting in, in contact with you via your website and your social media handles, how do they get in contact with you? Uh, well, my, as you mentioned, most people uh, acquire my book on Amazon. Uh, but my website is stevesnyderauthor.com. Snyder spelled S-N-Y-D-E-R. stevesnyderauthor.com. If someone wants an autograph book, they can uh, go to my website. And there's a lot of information about uh, World War II and the Air World War Europe and the 8th Air Force on my website. It's just not about my book. It's... Uh, uh, the purpose of what I do and my purpose of my website is to educate people uh, about the air war over Europe and the Eighth Air Force and what those men uh, uh, went through and the sacrifices they made. There's lots of uh, videos on the website. There's old footage shot during the war, interviews with veterans. There's a, uh, links to a lot of different si uh, sites to learn more about uh, World War II. So it's a very educational uh, website. I'm very, I'm very excited about um, living, especially getting history, first-hand history from people like you in books like this. Um, have you ever thought about uh, producing a documentary. I'm sorry, what was that? Producing a documentary around the Oh, yes. Uh, I've gone over a couple times with my youngest son and some uh, filmmakers uh, 2016 and 2018, and we filmed at all the different locations, and we recently made a uh, produced a 13-minute documentary short um, that I've entered into a number of film festivals and it's won some awards. And uh, once it's played in, the, in the, the festivals, they're coming to about an end, then I'll add that to my website and also my Facebook page and, and things like that. Uh, one of the uh, amazing things that uh, happened during my research uh, is that I found the German Luftwaffe pilot that shot down my dad's plane and interviewed him for the book. And uh, part of that interview is uh, in the documentary. Uh, his name is uh, Hans Berger. Uh, he just turned 97 years old uh, a couple days ago on October 9th. Uh, he lives in Munich, Germany, and fortunately for me, became a translator after the war, so he speaks English. And he gave me some uh, wonderful insight uh, that's in the book about what it was like to go up against the 8th Air Force. And uh, actually, the gunners on my my dad's plane shot Hans Berger down at the same time that he shot my dad down. So they shot each other down. So uh, we become uh, we've become friends. Uh, he's getting a little frail now at uh, at 97 years old, but it, uh, and he's the only person who's still living that was involved in the the shot down story. All my dad's crew have passed away. All the Belgian people that were involved in the story have all have all died since uh, all passed away as well. So that was a pretty incredible experience. And I visited Hans uh, a couple times in Munich, Germany. So uh, it's really been an adventure uh, writing the, writing this book. Another thing that's nice about the book is that there's lots of excerpts from letters from my dad, other members of the crew, family members that give it a real personal touch. 
because you can just, you know, hear them, you know, what they were thinking back then. And also there's 200 time period photographs in the book, so you can visualize everything that you're reading about. Great. I, um, I, I always tend to, in my 2020 mind, try to think of what was happening during that time. How people was thinking, what must have been the mindset of the soldiers going in to fight that war, what the main benefit of the soldiers or the opposing views. I mean, it's Germany against the world primarily. And uh, what would have been the, the, the vibe, the atmosphere like at that time? Did you get that type of feeling in the engineering research? Well, that's a, that's a very good question. You know, the world was a much different place back then. Uh, here, they, you know, there was no social media. There was no internet. There were no cell phones. Uh, there was no Facebook. And, you know, there was no television. Uh, the only way people got information about what was going on in the world was either reading a newspaper or a, a magazine. But even, you know, magazine articles would be way behind and uh, back then, speaking about the United States, uh, it was unlike today. Most people live in, you know, in major cities today. Back then, the United States was a very rural population. Most people lived out in the country. And uh, only the wealthy people were able to travel, really. So a lot of these young guys who were, went, went off to fight the war, who was just in their late teens, 18, 19, 20 years old, you know, had never been away from home, uh, never been away from their, their parents. Uh, a lot of these guys were just out of high school. Many of them had never even been out of their, their, their county, you know, that they lived in, let alone all of a sudden they find themselves halfway around the world fighting in a war in these strange exotic places that they'd only read about uh, and had no, you know, firsthand knowledge about. So it was a real eye-opener. As I mentioned, a lot of these guys had never been away from home. Uh, all of a sudden, they could do whatever they wanted to, to do. You know, they're away from uh, their parents. You know, they could drink. Now, all of a sudden, now they could drink alcohol. They could they could smoke. They could chase girls. They could, you know, and they're fighting for their lives each day. It could be their last. Uh, it's hard to imagine what it was like for those guys, for younger people today, you know, to put themselves in that scenario. Uh, but they, they were called, they, you know, they're called the greatest generation for a reason. And I certainly believe, believe that because they're, uh, as you mentioned, their sacrifice and courage and bravery saved the world uh, from tyranny. And all the freedoms that we enjoy today and take for granted would not be here without uh, their service and, uh, they're fighting and, and dying uh, to preserve freedom. What was the average age of your dad's crew? That's in my crew on B, that's 70. Well, as I mentioned, the, uh, there was a 10-man crew, typically the gunners. There were, about, there were four officers on the plane and then six enlisted men. And uh, the six enlisted men were typically gunners, and they were in their late teens, maybe 18, 19, 20. <clears throat> and the officers were typically in their early 20s. My father was an old guy. 
he was 28 years old. So they called him grandpa or the old man. Uh, but most, uh, so he was pretty, he was older than most of the crew. But the majority of the guys are in their late teens and, and early 20s. He was pretty young also, 28. They were younger in their teens. And, um, and having to work together, you know, to accomplish what they had accomplished may have been a, a task by itself with the age difference and what you were saying in terms of being homesick, being away from home first time out, seeing this new world, and it's really a fighting for your life. Your literal life is dependent upon what you do. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they, all of a sudden, they had all this responsibility on them to go out, basically save the world, um, you know, seeing their friends, their buddies dying uh, and uh, not coming back and, and still going out there and, and, and carrying, carrying on the fight. They were an amazing uh, group of men. And when they came back home, they just wanted to get along with their, their lives. They're, they're very humble men. When you talk to these veterans, it's like they, they don't look at themselves as hero or doing anything special. They just said, no, I was just one of the, the men who went. Uh, we had a job to do and we, we did our job and uh, we came back home and got on with our lives. You know, we either went back to school or uh, married and raised families and uh, became citizens again. You know, all, all those guys that fought the war, they weren't in. All of a sudden they were all drafted or volunteered uh, and got trained in a relatively short period of time and then were sent, you know, you know, over to fight in, the, in, in whatever branch of service in the Air Force, the Army, the Marines, the Navy, what have you. <coughs> and they're there was no other event in history that affected more people than World War II. Um, almost every country in the world was involved. Uh, 60 million people died. Millions more were wounded. Millions more were left homeless and displaced. It changed the course of, of, of the world forever. Yes, yes. And uh, so it, it, uh, it, it's, it's hard to... Uh, emphasize enough, you know, the magnitude and the importance uh, of that event. You mentioned your dad was missing for seven months, right? And yeah. then he got news of, uh, you know, the French, they landed, and he wanted to meet them. Um, how did he actually um, meet them? How did he leave that place in Belgium? That's we meet with the Allies. How did that happen? Well, he he was being hidden by you know these Belgian people, and they wanted him to just stay hidden. Uh, the people that were hiding him did not want him to join the French resistance because it was too dangerous. He could die fighting against the Germans, and if the Germans captured him, he would have been shot as a a, a terrorist. Um, it would have been much safer for him if he just stayed hidden and waited for the U.S. armies to come up and liberate the country. But, you know, I, I don't know 
if I would have done that, and I doubt if very many people would have decided to get back in the fight and risk their lives, but he thought other Americans were fighting, risking their lives, and it was his duty to, to get back and, and help. So the courage and bravery that he showed was uh, pretty amazing. And he said, well, so he said, well, he wanted, you know, the Belgian people, they knew who the, the, the French underground people were. And they, they, he rode with a Belgian woman across the border into France. And then they met up with the local French resistance unit. And then he fought with them. But uh, on September 2nd, uh, that's the day that Belgium was liberated by the U.S. armies. Word came that there were U.S. armies in a nearby village of Trelone, France. So my dad walked into the, the into the town, in the town square, went up to an army major. Actually, it was an element of Patton's Third Army, that General Patton, that came up through France after D-Day. My dad identified himself, and they interrogated him to make sure he was who he said he was. And then he uh, cut a ride on a convoy that was taking German prisoners to Paris. And then from Paris, he got on a transport and then flew back to uh his base or flew back to England and went back to his base. But he didn't go back into the combat uh, because the Air Force had a rule that if you were shot down over occupied territory and helped by the underground that you couldn't go back into combat because they thought if you went did go back into combat and you were shot down again and captured by the Germans, you'd give up the identity of the people that helped you the first time you were shot down. And so he was sent back to the United States and he became a B-17 flight instructor for the remainder of the war. But when he got back to England after uh, these seven months, because my mother knew, did not know what happened to him at at all. Um, After he was shot down, she got a telegram from the war department saying that his plane was shot down, he was missing in action. So she didn't know if he was dead or alive. And here she had a one-year-old baby girl, Susan Ruth, and then my other sister was born while my dad was missing. So she had two little baby girls, and never not knowing if she'd see her husband again. So when my dad sent her that telegram when he got back to England saying he was fit as a fiddle, uh, she obviously that was a unbelievably joyous moment uh, for my mother and uh, the rest of the, the family, my dad's parents and, 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 and so forth. Wow, that must have been something on your mom. How could your mom handle your dad uh, being missing? Oh, how did she go? Did you interview her? Uh, yeah, that my uh, my parents were very strong Christians, and she had a, um, as am I, and uh, she had a strong faith. And uh, some of these excerpts from letters. Uh, after the plane went down, you know, the, the wives or mothers or sweethearts would send letters to, to one another, you know, trying to support each other, not knowing who the which ones of the crew, what members of the crew would come back and who wouldn't. But back then, I think, as a, the country was more religious and they put their faith, you know, in God that they're that things would turn out OK. Uh, my mother also had a very strong support group with her parents, my father's parents, you know, and in, in, in her relatives. So you just uh, prayed and, and, and hope for the best. And, you know, for half the crew, 
the story turned out happily, but for the other half of the crew, for their relatives, it turned out tragically. Well, yes, very I'm much. I'm glad that your dad lived to tell the story. Yeah, yeah. If he didn't come back, I wouldn't be here because <laughs> I was yes, born after the war. <laughs> yes. You're that generation. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm a baby boomer from the after the baby war, boomer after generation. four years. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know for a fact that uh, this war changed history. The men and the women, the women that fought in and fought above this war, their stories are some of the most amazing stories. It was a war that had to be won because it was literally like a plague, like what we are facing today with this coronavirus that was about to take over the world. So the world had no other choice but to respond to what was taking place in that uh, in Germany. Mind you, one of my um, most famous sitcoms is um, Hogan's Heroes. Oh, okay. Yes, Hogan's Heroes. And um, that's as a little boy. Well, Hogan's Heroes, you know, it's a very old, you know, an old sitcom. Um, but I learned a lot about the war. It's mainly comedy. They mainly put a spin to it. To get an over, overview of the warfare, you know, you know um, Hitler, the war at that time, the Allies, soldiers. They let's get basically watered down version of the war. Very light hearted version of the war. Right. It's only when I started to look at uh, some documentaries like the style of and what was taking place, I saw what they tried to portray in uh, Hogan's Hero basically was watered down. Just for the love, just for the humor of it. Um, but you learned a lot, even in, 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 in the in system. And, and I realized what was actually happening there was really a day-to-day situation of allies coming in. They were, they were basically hiding. They were the Gestapo's, they were uh, the German army, they were against uh, American um, soldiers. You just mentioned when you get that, uh, went up to speak to a general in the, in the army, how they would question him and interrogate him to make sure he is, you know, he is very well because there were a lot of imposters from the German army, you know, they were. Uh, imposing themselves as American soldiers, you know, to infiltrate the under. So there's a lot of truth that was happening, even at the Hogan hero level. That taught me a lot, even to the war. That caused me to now look at the war and read about it. And when I saw your, your, your interview, I was like, wow, this is definitely a man who is hands-on to more information. Has there been a time where you were um, prevented or you were shunned away from acquiring information that you uh, wanted from the book? Uh, no, not at all. Uh, I was very fortunate, you know, that I and I'm blessed that I know so much about my dad and what happened to all his crew members. And he, three of my dad's crew members 
did become prisoners of war. And so the book talks about their experiences in a, in a, as, as POWs. Because um, most, most people know very little about their veteran because they didn't talk about it. Or, and, uh, but I probably would not have written the book if it wasn't for two Belgium gentlemen. Uh, their names are Jacques Lalo and Paul Delahaye, and they were young boys during the war. And they saw firsthand the atrocities committed by the Nazis against family and friends. And later in life, they became local historians and they interviewed all these Belgian people uh, who were involved in the in the events that took place involving my dad and his crew. And they documented their testimony and they gave me unbelievably detailed information about events that would have been lost forever without their dedicated research. So I, I owe them a, a huge debt. And they provided me a lot of pictures uh, that were taken during the war that are in the book that are just one of a kind pictures. So I had, you know, my dad, the crew members who survived, <coughs> um, the research that uh, Paul and Jacques did talking to these people and then my dad's helpers, because my, my dad stayed in contact with, with several of the people who hit him during the war. And uh, they would write letters, and I have those letters. And then all the declassified military documents, uh, war crimes reports. So uh, I just had I had an abundance of, of information. That was another reason I wrote the book, because I had so much detail, uh, just not broad information, but detail and, uh, you know, firsthand testimony uh, by people that encouraged me and uh, inspired me uh, to, to write the book. But uh, so lack of information was, was, was not a problem at all. Excellent. There's another book that, that was written about World War II and what happened during that time. What sets your book apart from the other literature that is out there? Well, I think if you just look at the air war over Germany, because um, that's basically what my book's about, um, it differs because most of the other books that are written fall into two categories. One is that they're very large in scope, and they talk about all the bombing missions and all the bomb groups and all the combat crews. Uh, or they're very narrow in scope. They talk about one man's experience either flying combat missions or becoming a prisoner of war. Uh, Shot Down, my book focuses on one crew and what happened to each member of that crew. And about anything that could have happened to a man in the 8th Air Force happened to my dad's crew. And so half the book talks about what happened after they were shot down. Very few books talk about what happened after men were shot down, uh, you know, evading capture, fighting with the resistance, being hidden by the underground. <clears throat> um, so it gives a very unique perspective of, in, in detail about what happened to individuals of this one crew, you know, some that ended happily, some that ended uh, very sadly. I think another thing that's unique is all the pictures uh, in the book. There's I don't know of any other book that has the, pic- the pictures to document the story like Shot Down does. 
And then again, all the the, uh, correspondence, the excerpts from these letters that from different people, uh, it's just not one person's, one man's recollection of his experiences. You have all these people talking about the events, both from the Belgium side, from the American side, you have the German, you know, pilot's perspective. So it's just a very unique uh, book in, in, in that respect. See, this is a great, great interview. I'm really enjoying it. Steve, shut down. Question. It's a bit of the lifestyle, but I know you definitely could answer. If there was a movie that was made concerning um, Shutdown, who would you like to play your your father? <laughs> well, ideally, uh, my youngest son, the one who just got married, he had a, a, a rather lengthy acting career starting when he was uh, in middle school. He was on a a TV show and in a in a movie, Lizzie McGuire. Okay, uh, that was very popular uh, back around. Oh, 2000, 2001, 2002. Um, and so that would be the ideal that my, my son, Clayton Snyder, would play my father or at least be in the movie. Uh, yes. with some part, if he didn't, if he couldn't play my dad, maybe to be one of the other crew members or something like that. <laughs> okay, okay. Have you have you ever thought about having your book in an audio version? Um, yes, I actually uh, the book's available as a hard co- uh, as a print book, both hard copy or paperback. It's available in any ebook form like Kindle or uh, Nook or any of that, and it's also available as an audio book. Great. Yeah, the the only down. Fall or the only drawback with the audio book is that you don't have all those pictures. Yes, but uh, it's available in audio book, ebook, uh, electronic book, you know, and uh, and print book. So it's available in all formats. Tell us again where we can um, get your get your um, your website so that everyone will know about it. Again, uh, my website is stevesnyderauthor.com. Snyder spell S-N-Y-D-E-R. And then on Amazon, and again, the, the complete title of the book is Shot Down, The True Story of Pilot Howard Snyder and the Crew of the B-17, Susan Ruth. Also, there's another uh, nice website uh, that you can go to. It's called bookdepository.com. And it's a, uh, a UK uh, uh, website. And it typically offers a 15% discount. You can pay in basically any currency and they, uh, you get free worldwide delivery, which is nice. There's no uh, shipping charge. That's bookdepository.com. A lot of people outside the U.S. go to that uh, website if they don't buy it on Amazon to get, to get the book. You are street. I love speaking with you. This interview has taught me. I am excited now more than ever about history. And I think that's what one of the reasons why you wrote the book. To enlighten minds in terms of what took place, not just a broad view, but just a personal account 
of your dad and these 10 men and also um, surrounding what took place around that time. Great job. I wish you all the success in your book. I, I hope to hear one day that it's a movie. I would really appreciate look at that movie and your son to be a part of it. You know, that would be excellent. So it's up to you. Last words to you. What do you want to say to our audience? What does um what is one thing that you could say that we could take from the book and use it as a life lesson for the Oh gosh. Um that's a good question. There there's uh a lot. I think that, uh, well, there's one, as, as I mentioned, just to get an appreciation for the advice the, the and courage of those men who went and put their lives on the line and to uh, appreciate the freedoms that people enjoy today and, and take for granted that that came as you know, they say, you know, freedom's not free and it's not, you know, people sacrificed and died so that we and younger generations can enjoy the lives that we are living today um, in, in peace and, and freedom. So that's that's really and, and just never forget uh, the World War II happens, you know, it ended 75 years ago. And so it's fading in people's memories and uh, we can't let that happen because uh, it was just too uh, uh, enormous event to, to let go by. Excellent. Excellent. And I, I've had a great time talking with you today. I, my wife and I love uh, traveling to the Caribbean and have been to uh, quite a few of the islands. Uh, have you ever You're, been to Trinidad? No, that's one I need to get to uh, Trinidad and Tobago. Uh, that that's like I think if the next trip if we go we'll go to Trinidad and Tobago. Well, whenever you are in Trinidad and Tobago, know that you have a friend now in Trinidad and Tobago. Oh. Feel free to contact me, and I'll be happy to you know probably show you some sites and stuff. I really appreciate having you. That'd be delightful. <laughs> Thank you again, Steve. I Thank really you. appreciate it. You st uh, stay safe and take care. God bless. God bless you too. Thank you. Thank you for joining us this week. Make sure to visit our website www.menofpurposett.com where you can subscribe to the show via RSS so you'll never miss an episode. While you're at it, if you found value in this show, we'd appreciate your message. Or if you can simply tell a friend about the show, that would help us out too. If you would like to be on the show, send us an email, menofpurpose85 at gmail.com. See you next time. Mm -hmm.